Welcome, welcome everyone to the Cone of Shame Veterinary Podcast. I am your host, Dr. Randy Rourke. Guys, I am so happy about today's episode. I am bringing you Dr. Brennan McKenzie, who has been on a number of episodes uh, with me before. He's always a fascinating guest. He always has great insight. I'm talking to him today about a passion that he's been writing a lot about, and that's aging in pets. Today, we're going to talk about the possibility of the 30-year-old cat or dog where are we in the science could that be possible what can we do today to increase the possibility of our patients and our personal pets living as long as possible without further ado let's get into this episode this is your show we're glad you're here we want to help you in your veterinary career welcome to the cone of shame with Dr. Andy Rourke. Welcome, welcome, Dr. Brennan McKenzie. Thanks for being on the show. Yeah, great to be back. Oh man, I love having you here. Uh, so for those of you, those who do not know you, uh, Dr. Brennan McKenzie is the author of the SkepVet blog, which is a very popular uh, blog out in the world on uh, the truth of science and uh, dispelling myths and um and just a general source of, of entertainment and knowledge uh, for veterinarians everywhere. And then you were also the author of the book, Placebos for Pets, The Truth About Alternative Medicine in Animals. I, I love this book. I speak highly of this book. I think every vet clinic should have this book on their shelf. It is just an excellent breakdown of uh, so much of the noise that we hear on uh, alternative medicine and animals. And so I really appreciate you taking time to be here with us. Well, it's always a lot of fun. Thanks for having me. Well, I want to talk to you about uh, some work that you've been doing recently, as I've seen your writings in the last uh, six months or so, you, you've been putting out a lot about aging in pets. And this definitely is a, an interest of yours. I know you're doing a lot of research in this area and work in this area. And I just wanted to talk to you a little bit about the science of aging today, what we know about pets, uh, what we suspect about pets, and kind of where we're going as far as managing age, uh, as far as, you know, extending the quality of life as well as the quantity of life for our pets. And is it possible that one day we'll have a 30-year-old Labrador Retrievers? Can I, can I keep my, my best dog forever and ever? And so that's that's what I want to talk. I think about it's today. a great subject. It's one I'm really interested in. So a good opportunity. Let's start broad here. Uh, I one of the things that 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 I think is really important that you lay out right off the bat in, in a lot of your in a lot of your writings is you know, there's there's two ways to sort of think about age. You know, age is there's it's a number, it's a chronological number, and it's also a physiologic process. Can you can you unpack that a little bit? What you mean when you say sure that. we talk about chronological age and biological age so so it's easy enough to say how old an animal is in terms of how many years they've been alive and that is some measure of how their bodies have aged but it's not the main driver of aging and it's not the most precise measure a uh, simple example is you look at a six-year-old irish wolfhound and a six-year-old toy poodle and that Irish wolfhound is probably nearing the end of their life. And that poodle is barely, you know, an adult or middle-aged yet. There's a significant difference in life expectancy between breeds. Um, and there are physiologic reasons for that. So we would say that that Irish wolfhound is biologically older 
than that poodle, even though they're the same chronological age. And we don't have yet perfect measures of biological age. There are a lot of interesting things uh, on the horizon. There's been some great research done on epigenetic changes, on changes in telomere length, on you know all sorts of biomarkers for biological age. And that's one of the things that I'm interested in, in looking at is how do we really know how old a dog is from a, from a physiologic point of view, because that's in many ways more important than how old they are chronologically. When I see a patient who has had a hard life and I'm looking at this six-year-old dog and go, oh man, this dog's been living hard. You're saying that's real, that, that there's, a, there's a potential that, you know, given environmental factors, stressors, things like that, uh, the biologic life of a pet uh, can be significantly different uh, from, from, from his chronological, chronological age. There are some six-year-old pets out there that are almost biologically significantly older than that. Is that correct? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, there's no question in humans that we know that certain behaviors, smoking and drinking and poor diet and poor exercise lead to physiologic changes that essentially mimic the changes that you see with age, but that happen at an accelerated rate. And there's some evidence in, uh, in dogs and in other lab animals for that as well. And there was actually an interesting uh, study I was reading the other day. I was a PhD thesis looking at telomere length and a few other markers uh, that might be a associated with aging in dogs. And one aspect of the study was asking people to look at pictures of dogs and guess their age. And it turns out that we are surprisingly good at assessing whether a dog is old or young and also whether a dog is healthy or unhealthy. I mean, this is a key part of what we do as veterinarians, right? Intuitively, you know, we have to have a sense of how ill this dog really is to help guide our diagnostic mm -hmm. and treatment plan. And, and we're keying in on visible features of physiologic changes that um, we could probably break down into components and measure more objectively if we understood them a little better. Let me understand why we believe um, larger breeds have a faster biologic aging process than smaller breeds, and that maybe will let you unpack some of the some of the science on telomeres and just general uh, biology of aging. Sure. I mean, in the case of large breed dogs, we, we know that there are a fairly limited number of alleles that are responsible for the tremendous body size difference between breeds, about 13 alleles that have been identified as taking as explaining most of the variance in size. And one of them associated with uh, insulin-like growth factor one is probably responsible for about 13% of that variation. So there's a fairly limited number of genes that make you know a toy breed dog a toy and a large or giant breed dog large. And there is evidence that growth hormone and, and insulin-like growth factor are involved in the process of uh, sensing nutrient availability and glucose levels, and, and they have insulin-like effects. And it turns out that uh, one major component of aging is this nutrient sensing pathway. Uh, insulin resistance leads to a lot of changes in the body besides just diabetes, which is what we always assume is the main cause of it. Uh, insulin resistance and metabolic syndrome in humans are associated with cancer rates, with cardiovascular disease, as well as with diabetes and other chronic health problems. So what we believe is, is potentially happening here is that giant breed dogs are essentially um, exposed to higher levels of these hormones in the period of time during which they're growing. They've been selected uh, specifically for that by humans, uh, which is why there's such phenotypic variation in dogs, because we've artificially selected them pretty intensively. And that this exposure has some metabolic effects which lead to accelerated aging. 
Um, and, you know, that's a hypothesis. Uh, we're still working on breaking that down into pieces and then thinking about what we could potentially do about that down the road. Um, but it's pretty well established in mice. There's some great studies looking at uh, mice with growth hormone uh, knockouts that have less of it or with uh, excess growth hormones, and those are directly tied to life expectancy and disease occurrence. So I think it's a pretty well established physiologic mechanism, and we're beginning to now see how that might play into the difference we see between breeds of dog and their life expectancy. Jamie, tell me about your, your favorite cat. Um, you're not supposed to have favorites, but I do. Her name is Calico Jack, and she's missing her upper uh, and her lower canines. Um, and she's just a delight. Uh, Calico Jack and the rest of your crew all drink from the Filaqua uh, water system, correct? They do. I like to... Tell me about it. I, I love it. It's a smart system, so every time... The cats come up, it registers their microchip and it tells me how much they've had to drink in a given period of time. So I can make sure that none of them are drinking too much or drinking too little. Yeah, the uh, Falaqua is from Sure Pet Care as part of their connected ecosystem. Guys, uh, this has been something that uh, Jamie and I have gotten to play with for the last couple of months and it is super cool. Uh, we know that water intake is a huge flag for uh, for disease and uh, illness in our feline patients, and we want to stay on top of it, and we want pet owners to know uh, what their cat is drinking. This is a great approach to it. If you want to learn more, head over to surepetcare.com slash water. That's surepetcare.com slash water. I'll put the link in the show notes. Hey everybody, I just want to jump in real quick and let you know about some exciting stuff that is coming up in the near future. On August 18th, I will be teaching a virtual live workshop. It is called 12 Steps to Critical Conversations. I'm going to walk you through the program, the process that I use and teach for having hard conversations. If you are someone who has hard conversations coming up, if you are talking to employees or clients or anybody about hard things and your palms sweat and your feet get cold and any you sweat a little bit, you lose a little bit of sleep because you have this this, this tough uh, this tough interaction coming up I can help you and I'd love to we're gonna walk through the 12 steps to set yourself up for success in hard conversations that is August 18th from 2 to 4 p.m. Eastern time 11 a.m. to 1 p.m. Pacific time I put the link in the show notes that is over at uncharted you can head over to unchartedvet.com and see what we have coming up like I said direct link in the show notes here um, it is $99 to the public it is free if you're an uncharted member I would love to see you there. Also, don't forget, on demand, whenever you want it, my Charming the Angry Client course is available. That is uh, in the store at drandyrourke.com, and uh, it is broken up into a bunch of little training modules. You can walk your team through the whole thing. You can do bits and pieces of it. I am loving now, if you see on social media and you see some ads for it, look at the comments, and you'll see people who are like, we got this, and it has been great, and this is what we have used it for, and this is how we've used it, and it just makes my heart sing. So anyway, that is in the store at drandyrourke.com. Links to both of those things, as well as our team uh, card game. Game, what's on my scrubs which is super fun and it's a great icebreaker for staff meetings all that stuff down below in the description of the podcast guys let's get back into this episode when we talk about life expectancy i i think one of the points that you've written about that's really interesting and this is true when we talk about people as well we have done a pretty good job of increasing uh lifespan but we haven't done that good a job of increasing health span meaning um, the amount of sort of quality life we have seems to be fairly constant. And we have extended the time between the end of the quality of life and 
the actual end of life. So can you confirm that, that I sort of, that I'm explaining that right? And then also, can you unpack it a little sure, bit? Sure, sure. I think most people are familiar with lifespan. It's a fairly simple measure of the number of years that an animal will live. Health span means the number of years that an animal lives without significant disease or disability. And what we've done in humans, and I believe also in dogs, though the data is not quite as strong, is we've extended life by reducing uh, causes of death that tend to occur early in life in young uh, people or a lot young animals. So we've reduced infectious disease with sanitation and vaccination. We've reduced malnutrition. We've reduced trauma. And as a result, people, and, and I believe dogs, are living longer. We have had less success at reducing the impact of living longer on health. So chronic age-associated diseases are now much more common. And this is not, as is sometimes claimed, um, a, an indictment of our society and you know, modern technology has, has caused all these terrible diseases. It's in some ways uh, an example of us being a victim of our own success. We've reduced all of the diseases that kept us living you know, 30 or 40 years if we were lucky for most of human history, and we've taken those away so we get to live longer. But the consequence of that is that age-associated diseases are now a more uh, significant problem for us. And we've had mm -hmm. some success at reducing the impact of those diseases. We, we've you know, increased the life expectancy and, and decreased the clinical symptoms associated with a lot of chronic diseases, cancer and heart disease, but not nearly as much success as we've had at extending life. And so an important part of aging science is understanding how we not only extend life, but how we also extend the period of good health. Because if we extend life without extending the period of good health, on balance, we may be doing more harm than good. We may be increasing the amount of suffering an animal experiences in its life. So health span is an, very important and, and in many ways maybe more important than lifespan as a target. Yeah, I, I think health span as more important target than lifespan makes, makes a lot of sense, right? None of us necessarily want to extend our lives uh, into a period of misery. You know, that's, that's, I don't think that's the, the goal for any of us, for ourselves or our patients. Well, I mean, how optimistic are you that advancements can be made in health span and sort of how far away are we from from those type of breakthroughs? I'm very optimistic. I mean, you know me, I'm I'm a skeptic and and the reality is that science is full of uncertainty and and I may spend the next 10 years of my career working on this and at the end not have a therapy to offer and that's that doesn't mean that we haven't created knowledge that will be useful someday. So I, I can't say that there is a, that there is a, a fix or even a series of therapies uh, that are immediately ready to go into the clinic. But I will say that the underlying biology of aging is is pretty well understood. There are decades of research working out the physiology of what happens as we age and and how that varies between individuals, between breeds, with lifestyle. I think that we are absolutely at a point where there are, are sound, plausible hypotheses for how we might intervene in that. Um, as I like to say, aging is not an inevitable or inscrutable process that we can't do anything about. We just have to learn to live with it. It's a set of physiologic processes that lead to certain clinical outcomes, and we can understand those and we can intervene. So I think there's a very real chance that we will begin making progress in the next 10 years with therapies that gradually reduce the uh, impact of age-associated disease on welfare and that increase lifespan, not only directly, but we have to remember in veterinary medicine that lifespan is often limited by a conscious decision on the part of an owner to euthanize their pet. And that's quality of life related. So in our field in particular, it's very important that we maintain health and quality of life because that becomes in and of itself a limitation on life expectancy. Um, and I think there's a really good chance that we will be able to get there. I think that there are a lot of, of good hypotheses being chased down by a lot of researchers in different places right now.
It's interesting, the idea of increasing um, health span it, by tackling chronic illness. So, I mean, I guess now that, now that you say it, it's like uh, when you break it apart into bits and pieces, yeah, if we had a, a better way of managing osteoarthritis, uh, then yeah, I would see I would see longer lifespan in a number of my patients and longer quality of life in my patients. You know, we've we've all seen these patients that have something like osteoarthritis, uh, and, and it becomes a quality of life issue. And you say, well, crap, uh, and this, you know, if we if we had a better way of managing this, then this patient would go on. And so I guess I hadn't necessarily thought about it in in that smaller term as breaking it all the way down to addressing specific chronic illnesses. Well, and what I think it would be useful for veterinarians to think of is aging is essentially the most significant modifiable risk factor for chronic disease. But what's interesting is it's not just a risk factor for a single chronic disease. It's a risk factor for many diseases that seem superficially unrelated. Uh, the kinds of physiologic changes we're talking about, changes in DNA, changes in metabolic health, increase the risk of osteoarthritis, but they also increase the risk of neoplasia. They also increase the risk of chronic kidney disease. They also increase the risk of cognitive dysfunction. These different clinical entities are all tied together through some common metabolic pathways. And addressing aging is essentially the ultimate in preventative medicine. It's a way of, of looking at the root causes for a multiplicity of clinical diseases that limit quality and, and length of life. What are, what are the practices uh, that pet owners can take now that we think are going to increase uh, lifespan and health span? I mean, th there are already things out there we say, yeah, we know that this helps. And I, so I'm sure some of them are obvious. I think some of them are, are less obvious. W what are the things that you point to if I said, Brennan, I, 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 want my, I want my own dog to live as long as possible. I want my own cat to live as long as possible. And I want to take a science-based approach to that. Where, where would you point me? Absolutely. Um, I think there are things that we can do right now. Our best understanding of aging is that there are certain risk factors that are almost universal among species, from humans to mice to dogs. Obesity is absolutely top of that list, right? And we know that yeah. that's a significant pro health problem in our dogs. And it's a problem that leads to many different diseases. It increases the risk of cancer. It increases the risk of osteoarthritis and it diminishes quality of life in many ways. So I would say that that above and beyond, you know, some of the hopefully very effective, you know, drug therapies and dietary therapies that we may come up with someday, simply feeding your dogs to an appropriate body condition is something that you can do right now that will unquestionably have a significant impact on their health and their quality of life and their length of life. Um, there, uh, the best evidence in terms of of things that have been done to extend health and life in dogs is for caloric restriction. There was a study done from the late 1980s into the early 2000s where they took uh, paired litter mates, uh, Labrador retrievers, and one dog was basically allowed to eat whatever it wanted. And then the other dog was fed 25% less of what that litter mate ate. Um, and over time, they followed these dogs for their entire lifetime and saw significant differences in length and quality of life. The dogs who were fed less lived uh, almost two years longer and, and had a period of health before the onset of these age-associated diseases we've been talking about of almost two years longer. So both life expectancy and quality or health span were extended simply by reducing feeding. Now, the quantity of food that's necessary to accomplish that you know, dramatic change in life expectancy and health may be a little tough for owners. Food is love, right? And, and it's how we express affection, how we bond with our pets. But simply feeding less to the point where we maintain a healthy body condition and avoid obesity is a huge thing that you can do right now for your dogs to live longer and healthier lives. Yeah, my, uh, my wife's 
doctoral dissertation research was in caloric restriction in sea turtles. And uh, just, uh, again, it's, it's hard to do a lifespan study in sea turtles because they live forever. But uh, some, some, of the, uh, some of the outcomes were, were very much the same. You know, uh, overall health through caloric restriction is documented across species. So I, I, I think it's something that we probably don't stress enough. I think it's very much an uphill battle because, as you said, food is love. I, I don't think that pet owners really understand what we're talking about here as far as, you know, calendar years of not just lifespan, but also quality of life. Absolutely. You know, and I think that, that it, you know, humans are a great example of the difficulty in implementing fairly straightforward preventative health measures, right? We all know that if we exercise more, our insulin sensitivity goes up and our risk of metabolic syndrome and chronic disease goes down. But getting yourself out there at the end of a long work day to go do a five mile run is a challenge and doing that chronically for your whole life is difficult. So I think that, that things like, you know, uh, avoiding obesity and encouraging regular moderate to significant exercise in our dogs, you know, are realistic things. But I think that we are going to need to provide people with other tools. And, and part of what I'm doing as part of my research is looking for ways to interact with the same pathways that, for example, caloric restriction and, and other kinds of life extension therapies that have been tested in lab animals um, interact with so that we can get some of these benefits in ways that are maybe a little bit more practical and more reasonable for people to use in their daily lives. What would something like that even look like as far as you know, these practical ways? Mm -hmm. I'm not asking you drilling into specifics too much, but but just help me understand what that would even mean. Well, for example, there's a lot of, of uh, research going on right now on a drug called rapamycin. Um, and the Dog Aging Project is something some of your listeners may have heard of. Matt Caberline and uh, Daniel Promslow at University of Washington, Kate Creevy at Texas A&M are involved in leading that. And it's a fascinating sort of citizen science project where they've recruited thousands of dogs through the internet and people are uploading health histories and information. And they're, they're looking at some point to collect samples to look for biomarkers of aging. And they're actually going to be doing a clinical study on this drug rapamycin. Um, and one of the things this drug does is it interacts with something called uh, mTOR, which is a, a part of a pathway involved in protein synthesis and, and uh, growth and development of cells in the body. And it's been shown pretty clearly in laboratory animals that reducing the levels of, of mTOR with rapamycin extends life and reduces disease. And this is also a pathway that's affected by caloric restriction. So this is something that, that we think of as almost a mimetic of caloric restriction. It interacts with some of the same metabolic pathways. So if, if this kind of approach is successful, we could potentially have drug therapies, for example, that would reduce the negative impact on health and life expectancy of some of these metabolic pathways and that would do so in a way that doesn't require us to starve our dogs, which is you know, challenging emotionally for most of us. Um, there are lots of other approaches. Um, we're looking at something called senescence. We tend to accumulate cells that are dysfunctional and not very useful in our bodies, and those gum up the works and make things uh, you know, not work well, and that leads to disease. And there are things called senolytics, which are ways that encourage the body systems for cleaning up and removing those senescent cells from the body. So there are a lot of different approaches. Um, there are quite a few of these pathways of aging that are well worked out in the lab that we're beginning to think about ways to interact with clinically. Um, so drug therapies are certainly uh, an aspect of it. I know people are looking at nutritional therapies. I always have to, you know, caution people, a aging biology and longevity are uh, certainly areas where we've been seeking magical therapies and, and fountains of youth for many, many years. And it's because our, our motivation is high, it's very appealing to look for, for 
dramatic solutions that will will make us all live forever without any cost or any work. And and those rarely turn out to be true in biology. So there are a lot of things already out there in the market that people will tell you will help your mitochondria or lengthen your telomeres or do these things. Like everything else in medicine, it requires some good hard scientific work to find things that work and that balance risks and benefits. So, you know, I do want people to be a little bit wary. I think this is an exciting area, but it's a very new area. And most of the things that that you're going to be sold these days haven't really been through that rigorous validation process yet. Yeah. You have already said in, in this episode, you yourself are a skeptic. Uh, what do you what do you think is possible? I mean, do you think we're talking about a 30 year old Labrador uh, in, you know, in the next couple of decades or um, or is, you know, maybe maybe two extra years? I mean, what do you what do you think? I mean, I think the first target, as we talked about, is health span. And I think there is a very significant possibility that we can compress the the period of illness that, you know, we almost all experience at the end of life to a, as small a period or proportion of the life cycle as possible. And I think that's something that is very achievable. We see that in human beings who, who live you know, exceptionally long lives. And there's a lot of interesting research on, on long-lived people and what is different about them and how they manage to stay healthy until the very, very end. I think there's a very real possibility that we will be able to accomplish that you know, in, in the lifetime of our careers, you and I. Um, I think that life extension is absolutely possible, but how exactly that's going to come about and what it's going to look like, I'm not sure we know yet. I mean, that's part of the fun of science, right, is that we don't know exactly what we're going to come up with. We, we have a, a picture in our mind of what we'd like, and we do the work, and we end up with where nature takes us. Brennan, where's the best place for people to go if they want to read more about what you're doing and uh, and about aging and pets? So uh, I'm beginning, as you say, to start writing some articles on my blog, the Skepfet blog about aging. I'm trying to uh, to make those available as I uh, as I write them. Um, I have some uh, some journal articles for veterinarians in review right now, so hopefully there'll be some some scientific literature for the veterinary uh, audience to look at soon. Um, I work for a company called Loyal, uh, and loyalfordogs.com is the website, and uh, I try to put up all the information that I have available there as well. I'm beginning to put together a series of uh, continuing education presentations, maybe some webinars. So, you know, part of my job for this company, I do two things. The first thing I do is represent veterinarians and pets within the drug development process because the research scientists sometimes don't understand how the real world works or or may not be thinking in terms of the day-to-day needs of veterinarians and pets. So I'm trying very hard to make sure that, that we're represented at the table uh, in this kind of discussion. And then the other thing I do is, is talk about aging. And so my hope is that the next six months, there will be a multiplicity of educational materials available out there. I also definitely encourage people to look at the Dog Aging Project website there's some fascinating materials on aging uh, and, and canine aging biology in particular there. Um, and that's a wonderful opportunity for people to get involved. You can sign your dog up and, and provide some information and some pictures and you know potentially even be involved in clinical trials. I think getting people involved is going to be really, really important. Uh, having pet owners and veterinarians interested in participating in clinical studies or in filling out surveys or doing anything possible to help us get data so that we can you know make real science here instead of just hoping. I think uh, I think those are definitely resources people should look at. That's fantastic. Your book again is called uh, Placebos for Pets, The Truth About Alternative Medicine and Pets. Thank you so much for being here, Brendan. I always enjoy it and appreciate your time. Thank you. Fun conversation. And that is our show. Guys, I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you got something out of it. If you did, as always, do me a big favor. 
and write me an honest review on iTunes. That is where people find the show. It is uh, it is a big help for us in growing, uh, you know, growing our listener base and getting uh, getting the word out to more people. Also, if you thought this episode was great, just share it with your friends. That's that's all I ask. That's that's really it. Uh, my team works so hard on these episodes, and it just all we want is to share the love and the knowledge. So uh, if you can help us with that, then uh, then that means a lot. Thanks a lot, everybody. You guys take care. I hope you're enjoying your summer, and I will talk to you soon. Mm-hmm.